what's up everybody welcome back to the brian johnson show man shout out to everybody who checked out the show last week man thank you very much i really appreciate that um today we got a really special guest you know my girl Nidra williams she's just amazing she's just like she's one of those people that has a lot of energy she just speaks her mind she's a truth teller she's honest and i you know really really think she's a great person and she's just um highly unique so like always man sit back relax check out the whole episode it's gonna be dope there's a lot of things she's gonna be talking about let me tell you something someone does not hold back she is definitely honest about a lot of things so with enough with that said enjoy and um i'll catch you guys on the other side man take care be safe peace All right, what's up, everybody? This is the Brian Johnson Show, and today we have a very special guest. My homegirl, my friend, a person who inspires me, and she is one of the most animated and honest people you're ever going to meet in your life. And her name is Vernidra. Hello, Vernidra. Hey, everyone. How are you today? I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vernidra, before we get started, I want to first say thank you for inspiring all that I'm doing these days. And I'll tell you why, first and foremost. She was the first person to believe in me when it came down to doing a podcast. She started her podcast, and she was the inspiration pretty much for everything that I'm doing with this podcast. And if you ever want to meet somebody who is just about living her life to the fullest, she's always going to be on 100. And she will probably be that little old lady at the old folks' home hitting people with canes, telling them, I can walk on my own, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Okay, that's who Venidra is. She will be that lady. She is an inspiration to a lot of people. And hell, she is an African-American woman who works in the car industry. These days, that's rare. So, how are you? Please introduce yourself to uh, the audience. And how are you today? Well, first of all, I'm humbled by your introduction. Okay. I had to, it caught me off guard, actually. <laughs> um, like you said, my name's Vernidra Williams. Yes. There are about three other Vernidras in the United States. And this is the rarity, more uniqueness. Understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the only females who can go on social media, put her first name, and use it as her username. <laughs> this is starting from AOL on. <laughs> you understand? Um, like you said, I really honestly take Carpe Diem to... Yes. Uh, I take it to heart. I understand you get one life on this earth, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I have, I want to say, rules that I live by. Mm -hmm. But as long as, you know, I feel like I'm living a correct life and I'm doing things that are pleasing to God, I will honestly say yes. You know, (laughs) like saying yes to life, I honestly believe the more experiences, the better. Yes. Um, I'm not the type of person who's ever... Too cool for school. Right. I'll right. try it one time, maybe okay. two. You know, I am the participator. Gotcha. I was the gotcha. one raised my hand and cut. You want to read? I'll read. Like it wasn't a problem for me to look silly, embarrass mm. myself in the name of a new experience. Experiences and, are good for people, man. Mm-hmm, and I'm honestly okay with failing. Yes. I'm okay with trying something and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Now let me ask you something now. You've always been a, from what I've always gathered, you've always been a person who is not willing to 
to give up on something, but you're not all, you're, but you're also just as much willing to jump in and do something. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You grew up in Englewood, right? Englewood, New Jersey. Born and raised. Born and raised Englewood, in Englewood, New Jersey. Englewood, New Jersey. Where? When did you start? When did that out? out um, I guess that outgoingness or that started with you. When did that start to creep into you that you know you need to do it? Was it more towards the time when you got to high school, or it was just like, all right, forget it. I'm just gonna go out and just gonna jump on this bike and I'm gonna roll down this hill. When mm-hmm. did it really, like? When did you remember when it started for you that you were like, you know what? I'm not. I'm gonna take life by the balls. I'm really gonna do this. I always realized I was a little different. Yes. From everyone on the playground, <laughs> I had very different ideas. Right. I was very unique in the way I thought about just about everything, okay. and my mother encouraged it. Yes. I never felt as if I said something wrong or said something silly and I was scolded for it. I don't okay. remember anyone making me feel embarrassed. Right, right, you know, right, of course right. I had to behave when I was out in public and things like that. Now don't embarrass your parents. <laughs> yes. But I never came up with some crazy eye scheme or idea. My mother said, That's stupid. Why would you do that? Right. Or, you know, it was more like, you know what, Vern? Think that through. <laughs> they allowed me to think it through, try okay. it. Okay. Um, my mother was a little bit more protective as far as not letting me make mistakes that she thought would harm me in the future. She right. made sure, you know, at 18, she just grabbed my checkbook and said, here, you, this is your life insurance. Was, I, was your mom a big, your mother and your father were, I know your father was a big influence on you. He was a huge influence. influence. And I, what I loved about him was my father was a mailman. Okay. Okay. And... You know, to some people, they say, mailman, working class, what's the big deal? The thing about my dad was, I meet people to this day from very affluent areas. There's Englewood and then there's Englewood Cliffs. If anyone's ever been here, they know what that means. Very true. Very, Um, very true. Huge mansions, $3.0 million houses a mile away from my house. And then you have my parents who make $40,000 a year, 80 together, raising three kids, and we never thought we were poor. Right, right. Um, But I say all that to say that I meet people who live in those multi-million dollar homes today, Mm -hmm. and they say... Your your father's Sam the mailman? Oh my gosh, we love Sam. He had He's the ability. A staple of the community. Yes, he had the ability to walk into a room, change right. the energy. Mm. Everyone wanted to talk to him, no matter their station in life. And he did everything from was a Boy Scout master at one point, so right. he gave back to the community. Mm-hmm. But he also, in his younger days, had a motorcycle club. He was a DJ <laughs> in the seventies. You know, he spin used to spin records for Ron Isley and folks like Would that. Would you say it's safe to say you got some of your outgoingness from him? Yeah, and I got the ability to. What I learned from him is that you can be whoever you want to be every given day. Okay. 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 Like if someone's like doesn't like me from something I did three years ago, I'm like, girl, I've been like 18 different chicks since then. Why are you still upset? <laughs> there is a, there, that's a very true point that you, people go through different stages in your life. If you hold on to those grudges, you'll never meet the new person. No. You'll always be stuck trying to hold on to the old person. You got to let them go. So I redefine too. myself every single day. But that's what makes you very unique because you are a person. I've always noticed that about you. You like to grow. Mm-hmm. And when you like to grow as a person, that's super important. Growth is something that's very important. Now, you did say that your dad was a highly influenced. Your mom, was she also kind of an influence on you as well? She, or she was, was a major so influence. Like she encouraged me. Yes. Um, she was more nurturing than he was. Okay, of course. Obviously, it's going to be that. I she think was so. more nurturing. Yeah. My father was a type to go burn yourself and learn. <laughs> My mother was, let me tell you why you shouldn't do that while the burn will leave a mark. And right. she, that was her you know, way. But either way, they were both very, if I wanted to try something, they yeah. encouraged me, whether it was karate, track and field, mm-hmm. basketball. Um, they were super supportive. I mean... If you know track meets, they start oh, yeah. at eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, they yeah. end at five. Okay. My parents were there every single Sunday, but they were consistent in messaging as well. Right. So 
You went to church, you do whatever you want to do. So right. I remember I'd go to church in my track outfits, <laughs> and then I'd do Sunday school, and then I'd go to the meet. There was no, I'm doing this, so I don't... You know, you make a commitment to one thing. Right. That's cool. Right. But you also made the commitment here. So you can't just forget about what you have going on. A, you have to do A and B. And just, I think, in general, seeing working class parents, there's no excuses. Right. There's no, my nose is running. I'm staying home from school. Mm-hmm. They're going to work. I'm going to school. They'll, mind you, they're going now. They're going to school. I mean, you're going to school. They're going to work. There's no holding back. There's no, like, you can stay home. Yes, yeah, none of that. Yeah. So they're like, listen, you got to do, do this. You join the track team. Right. Whether three weeks in, you find out you hate it, mm-hmm. you're going to complete the season. When did you start? I like, now you had siblings, am I correct? You have yes. like a brother and a sister, am I yes. right? Now, were you the youngest or the middle child? I was the youngest, and yeah. uh, I was talking to a, like, a social worker once. Oh, social And worker. she was telling me that. I almost have traits of a single child. Yes. And I was asking her why did she notice this? And she uh-huh. said, you're very opinionated. Single <laughs> children seem to know exactly what they want and how they want it. Right. And I said, but I'm not. And she mm-hmm. said, well, how many years are you separate between your sister and your brother? I said, seven and ten. Mm-hmm. So she said, when you have those types of year differences, right. it's almost as if you are a single child because you got a 17-year-old and a seven-year-old. There's a big difference. There isn't much relationship there. Nah, nah. She's out. You know, partying or at her part-time job plus school. Yeah. And you're going to bed at 8.30 in the night. So <laughs> Catching family matters. Right. <laughs> I dig TGIF. it. Yeah, I so dig it. I so dig it. So um, growing up with that dynamic in your household, you're the baby child. You're, I'm sure your mom was like, okay, well, this is my little baby girl. Dad was probably like, this is my little baby girl. But they also instilled in you a very deep um, work ethic, uh, safe to say. Now, how did that translate? Because I know you went to school. And you went to you you were in high school and you ran track. What kind of like did you like at that time while you were running track and everything? Did you start to begin your independence as a woman? Did you start to figure out your womanhood around that time in your life, or did it did it come later on when you no, went to college? No, I think college is when I realized my womanhood, and even then, mm-hmm. um, yep, yeah, I would say college was it. Okay, so you went to college. So I went to college. Was it? What it college was did more, you go to? I went to Syracuse University. Go Cuse. <laughs> I was going to say, go let that one slide. Had to plug it. <laughs> um, it definitely wasn't high school. In okay. high school, I was still, the opinions of my parents were my opinions. I got you. If you understand. Yes. There was no gray area in life. Totally. I didn't understand gray area. It's my- black or white. It's right or it's wrong. It's what I learned in church versus mm-hmm. this. Then you. You're wrong. This is right. Mm-hmm. In college, I learned about gray area. Okay. I learned that there's always extenuating circumstances. Did you learn the difference between black everything. music and white music? Did that come up to you when you were in college? I learned because <laughs> that's, that, that's the thing you learned. Like, wait a minute. So you said, so "Well, I can listen to. I can't listen to this Bon Jovi record." You think that's white music? My bad. I grew up in a very people who listen to different music where I come from. Right. People say, "Oh, it's white music." Word. Okay. All right. Go ahead. What I always learned was that we run the culture. Correct. That is one thing that I did learn. Yes. Like I said, I was always open to whatever. So mm-hmm. if I had a roommate from, you know, Utah or whatever the case, right. I was open to hearing what she wanted to hear and going to the parties that she wanted to go to. That was cool. Um, was it a big culture shock going to Syracuse? Because that's really been independent. I don't, a lot of people I grew up with didn't go to very big, big schools. They would go to a, a fairly big school, but Syracuse is like a major, big, big campus schools where it's got like damn near the entire city is engulfed by the campus. Mm-hmm. So what was it like going up there? As a woman, as a black woman, was it like a culture shock to you? The funny thing is it wasn't. Okay. The culture shock for me, and I don't know if this is really the culture shock, was I thought I was smarter than I was. Oh, So I was used to, 
I mean, in middle school, I was in an all white Girl Scout troop. Okay. So I didn't have, you know, multicultural, <laughs> you know, kick. Uh, uh, insecurities right, in that right, way. Right, right, right. I knew very well mm-hmm. what it meant to be a black woman in a room full of white people. Right. You know, I right. had after school jobs where I was the only one mm-hmm. and things like that. For me, it was an education shock. I came from going being number eighth in my class in an all-black and Latino high school mm-hmm. to getting my first paper. And I was known for being a great writer. Right. And I got a C minus, and I couldn't understand it. Oh, and I thought you. I didn't need, you know, um, they had something called the writing center. Right. The teacher said, hey, listen, if you think you're having trouble, go to the writing center. And I said, I don't need the writing center. I you know who first, I am? I remember the first time I went to Syracuse, I realized how huge that place is. Mm-hmm. But I could also realize, like, how... It could be like you're like in a whole. I can say this. You're like I went to the international houses mm-hmm. where we were at. That's where yeah. I stayed when I went up there, and I realized like they had their own little set of cultures like in different places. Yeah. But then I realized I went to the big educational buildings. I'm like it's so easy to get lost in there if you're just like you come from a, this this pond, and then all of a sudden you're going into the ocean. It's like a whole nother thing. And I know you just said right there, you went to a place called the Reading Center, am I right? You, writing you, Center. Writing Center. And you were like, okay, I'm going to go to the Writing Center. W- what was that like going into a place where you were seeking help when you were just coming from being like one of the top people in your class? How was that? It was humbling. Okay. And getting the paper and not understanding why I wasn't on the level of everyone else kind of hurt at first. I remember calling my mom like, I don't get this. I remember you want to be angry with everyone but yourself. Right. And then at some point you have to say, I got to step it up. And yeah. that's it. I, I learned very, and I think, you know, like I said, being raised by working class parents, mm-hmm. there is no excuse. Right. right. So I can't blame it on the teacher. Right. I can't blame it on the lack of education that maybe I should have gotten better mm-hmm. teachings in high school. I have to say in this moment, I am a C minus. <laughs> How do I become an A plus? Yeah. And do whatever it takes by any means. Right. Because it's me. One thing I can say about you is I can, to be where you're at in life, you're a competitor. Yes. And I think that stems from you starting out in athletics yes. very early. Speak to how those things, those, af- those athletic, starting out in athletics, how did that help you overcome this little like paradox where all of a sudden you're looking like, wait a minute, I was, I was doing so well, what the hell just happened? How did that those things kind of help push you in the right direction at this point in your in your like college career, I could say, I guess, at that point. I think the best thing about athletics is you become very, um, very comfortable with rankings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the book. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it's called... I don't remember the book. Okay. But it talks about how women are socialized differently than men. Mm-hmm. Men play competitive games... And there's a clear line as to who's in charge. Correct. Very true. Women play games where everyone gets a turn. Yes. We play jump rope. Ah. We play house. I get to be the mom this time. You get to be the mom that time. Right. Women in general are not comfortable. And this is not me saying this. This is me reading a book and saying, you know what, I get it. Yes. Women in general are not comfortable saying, she's queen bee, I'm number two. (laughs) Guys are good with saying, he's the captain, I'm the lieutenant. Right, 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 right. But sports and athletics... Yes. Acclimated me with saying, okay, I was third this race. I was first this race. Why am I first at this meet, second at this meet, third at this meet? What Mm -hmm. did I do different? Mm -hmm. Assess the situation and adapt. Yes. That's what athletics, I think, will allow anyone to do. Is your team number one in the region 
or number five in the region? What did you do the year you guys won the championship? Do that again Fact and again up. and again. Right. And I think that is the true blessing in athletics. That, the consistency, and the fact that track and field is a very singular sport. Mm. While you're on a team, in that race, in that moment, in whatever lane you've been assigned, it's only you. Right. Versus in basketball, you may have a number of plays where five people are involved. Correct. Based upon anybody's judgment or vantage point, they can say he should have made the layup, he should have passed left, he should have passed right. In one play, you can name five different weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I cannot make an excuse for why I came in last. I, I was the only person in that lane. <laughs> so you really learned how to be responsible for your own ish. Exactly. That's dope. That's really, really dope. Now, you, you, were, you were in college. You were, you were like, all right, I got to make some changes because I'm no longer this big fish in this, this, big, this pond. I'm now in this freaking ocean. I got to learn my way around it. Mm -hmm. When did you start to understand, like, okay, now that I got this independency, how do I balance? When did you start to see a change in yourself? Did you see when you came home that first semester? Or how did it really, like, did it sort of graphically come into things? When I, can you repeat that question? Okay. So what I was saying is when you get, to a certain point that you know you're no longer in your comfort zone, you're out of your comfort zone in that place. Did you start to feel when did you come when did you come back to here from college and start to say, you know what, I've I've kind of changed. Like I'm kind of like moved on from certain things. Did it was like that first semester you came home or it was like a couple years into it? Moved on from certain things such as yeah, like let's just say moved on from friends, let's just say, or just old petty things that you had hold on to. And certain things that you were like, you know what? I don't want to go out here and go get drunk with the homies. I want to go out here and experience something different. I think I may have had the reverse <laughs> <laughs> uh, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't take my first drink till I was 21. Oh, that's true. That's um, true. Didn't have my first boyfriend till I was 21. Huh? <laughs> I didn't know this, people. Um, <laughs> yeah, so for me... Mm -hmm. I thought following the rules would get you everything you wanted. Ah, so you had a reverse angle. So basically yeah. you went in there and you were just like, hold up. And I was like, if I did everything my mother and father taught me, right. I would get everything I wanted. Got you. Little did I know that my parents only taught me what they knew. They didn't teach me wrong. Right. They taught me the best they could. Isn't that like the, the thing of all parents, though? They can only we, we, me and you, whenever we do become parents, right? right. all we're going to be able to do is teach them what we know. We Correct. can only teach them what we know, hand them a couple of books that might change their thought process, might give them a, a, a perspective that is really going to be enlightening to them. But I think that's what, what all parents, no matter how affluent they are, they can only teach you but so much. Your parents can only take you so far. It's going to take you and your thirst for knowledge, your thirst for what's going on outside of you to actually get you somewhere else. Correct. And So for me, I had the opposite experience. I feel like I really, my butterfly kind of... <laughs> <laughs> fluttered up. What is it, caterpillar to butterfly? <laughs> yes. I think that happened probably, you know what? I feel mm -hmm. like at Syracuse University, by second semester, right. I was, I had my reality check. Mm -hmm. I knew what I had to do. And then I was making those changes. Wow. I was kind of having my own opinions about things. Vern is very opinionated, by the way. Just wanted to um, let everybody know that. And and right away I realized that if you are different 
Yeah. People rock with that. <laughs> people people gravitate towards gravitate that to that because yeah. so many people are not themselves, Word. and they see something in you, and they're like, "Yo, she's just doing her. Yes, she's having fun. Yes, everyone else is feeling it. Yes, and it almost inspires them to just do something random that they want to do as well. That they, I'm not self conscious by yes. any means. Yes. I'm not. I don't think about what other people are thinking of me as I do an action. I don't. Clearly, I, one thing I can tell about you is that you never. You never were for the okie doke. Like I'm not gonna be pressed to go in this direction simply because I want. I admire that about you because I, I for a long time, I think, I want to say even till about when I was 25, I was really stuck in that way. Like if I don't have clean sneakers on, if I don't have this certain kind of belt, if I don't have these certain kind of sneakers, a certain kind of shirt on, I'm gonna be looked at as an outcast. I gotta fit in. I gotta be stylish, especially around the time when Dipset was like prominent and Jim Jones just dropped balling. Mm-hmm. It's probably like 2007, 2008. I just gone, man. Listen, I I wanted so desperately to be a cool guy. <laughs> I was trying to be myself as much as I could, but you're still learning as time goes on. And I remember that like clearly. But I, I think could, I can remember you being like, even after when I met you years later. You were just really you. You were self. I remember we met at a Starbucks, and you were clearly just like this this professional businesswoman. I'm gonna sit there. We're gonna have a whole conversation. She had her whole MacBook ready to go. She was no joke. She was like, she was like head on for it, y'all. When I tell you she's intimidating, when you, when you get around her, she's not like she's not a joke. That's all I'm gonna tell you. Thank you. <laughs> you're not. Gonna, you're gonna find out fast. That's all and I to speak say. to that point, now I understand where the trigger was. I will tell you where the trigger was. So. It was senior year in high school and maybe junior year because I was still getting clothes out of a bag. So this is how it went down. My mom used to get bags of clothes, right? Okay. Used clothes. And someone would hand it down to her. We'd take what we liked and hand it down to another family. They'd take what they like until there was no more clothes. I'll never forget there was a pair of Lee jeans in this bag. A cool plaid shirt, a fitted plaid shirt for a woman that was like pastel colors. Mm -hmm. Um, I always kept a job, so my sneaker game was pretty decent. And and that was it. But I remember this one particular shirt. And then there was a, a girl who had just moved to our school from the Bronx, and her name was Tracy. And everybody was on it. Because not only did she have a body for a junior, but <laughs> she wore D&G. She wore uh, all these types of things in high school. For one, I didn't even know what they were. And right. two... You barely pronounced them. Right. <laughs> and I'll never forget, we were in the cafeteria. She complimented me on our shirt and then was like, what is that? Moschino. Wow. And I'm like, nah. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is a hand-me-down. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized that there's a lot of lames out here. Not saying she was a lame. Right. Let's clear that up. There's a lot of lames out here who are wearing off-white. Right. Who are wearing Dolce Gabbana. Who right. are wearing Louboutins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can't dress up a lame. No. You right? Can, you can put whatever you I want. I can still read through your energy. Versus a person who has swag or has their own energy and is moving however they want to move, right. you can put that person in Target jeans and a white tee and something about them is going to draw people to their fire. That's what I was talking about. I was telling this the other day from my first guest. I was telling him, like, oh, my band Dubs, he could go in any room. He just chilling. He just be, mm-hmm. he be in a face. He can be in a, he could be even a, he'd be in a North Face white tee 
a pair of jeans and a pair of Tims, and he'd be chilling, and he'd probably just swag his dude in the room. Exactly. And it doesn't matter what you look like or what you're wearing. It's, just, it's, it's your energy and it's your flow. I kept that energy going. Yeah. My first, and I'll never forget, the outfit, first day of school, freshman year, Syracuse, I wore a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle t-shirt <laughs> that I had bought from Hot Topic with... Some, I don't remember the sneakers, but I had that t-shirt on, on the quad, getting mad love. Mm -hmm. And then that same semester, I took a class called AAS 112. It's the, your introductory to African-American studies. Right. Carmelo, no, I'm sorry. I took that class uh, sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Carmelo Anthony was in my class. Big name athletes who were going to the school at the time. Right. And then, you know, a lot of chicks who wanted to get near them. Yo, okay. Athletes always take that class, though, at any college <laughs> I've ever been to. So then... I started a study group because right. I'm also the person not afraid to look stupid. Right. However you think I look, mm -hmm. I promise you I'm going to have this A+. Plus. I got you. So I would always ask a million questions, had my flashcards. People mm -hmm. noticed. I got three and four girls together. Next thing you know, that turned into five and six girls. Next thing you know, it was an integrated situation. Next thing you know... Carmelo's in there. The famous Venedra energy <laughs> anchor. She can bring energy like nobody's business. Man. Next thing you know, Student Center, we're renting out rooms to do our study group. It was like that. <laughs> what? I did not know it. To do a study group. But it ended up being so much fun. People would bring snacks. Girls was like, I bake cookies. They were handing them out. But I say all that to say that I learned very early on, if you are where the party's at, Nothing else matters. Exactly. Because nothing pisses me off more mm -hmm. than, let's say, Brian, I personally invite you to my birthday party. Right. And you say, who going to be there? <laughs> First of all, I'm enough. Right? <laughs> I am the part. That's how I feel. <laughs> this, so I've never been to a whack party. No. Nah, because I'm not whack. You will. You, I'm going to create the, party. the right. energy. Right. Would, it, you, would you say that you are, you say create. You can create the energy. Do you consider yourself a creative? Creative, absolutely. Okay. Creative, okay. absolutely. Well, I got you. I got you. Now, I want to bring this um, to this point. Now, you go to college. Mm -hmm. You finish school. Am I correct? Yes. You come home. Okay? What was it like when you first got back and you were like, okay, I'm done with school. What do I do now? It was, for one, you had this the illusion of freedom. Yes. Okay? Because you were, you're talking about immediately after graduation? Correct, Amundo. An illusion of freedom. So, my parents, I was still living on their roof. Mm -hmm. But I was moving like a college student. Yes. Okay? And that was one unacceptable. <laughs> so you were dealing with that challenge in right. the home. Right, right, right. Then right. outside the home, you knew you had the credentials. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily have the network. Gotcha. Working class parents, they can get me a job. You know, they know people at UPS. They know people um, at the post office. They mm -hmm. know people... Here and there, but not, they don't know people at Goldman Sachs. Right. They don't know people at JP Morgan Chase. Right. They can't really school me on how to go into an interview and sell myself the way that the corporate savvy, the words to use, mm -hmm. you know. The sell, basically, the ability to up your social status is not always as easy, especially even if you got a degree. If you don't know how to network that degree, it's a single piece of paper that it's just says you got there. It's a single piece of paper. And, and I had two of them. Right. And you can be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, by the I'm way. I'm a master's and my undergrad. <laughs> working can, on a second master's. You can hold those two pieces of paper up in there. But if your networking skills are not up to play or you didn't have an internship from the jump, you're kind of like you're stuck in that position of being just another, you know, someone to fill the quota at that point. Correct. And I know that for you, you're filling two quotas for them. 
one, you're filling the minority quota. And then the other one, you're filling the quota of being a woman. At my current job, you mean? No, no, I'm period. period. Oh, in, in, general, it, in, in general, in life. In general, right. in general, in general. Now, you're in the world. You're going into the world. What was your first, like, taste of the real world once you got out of school? I had an internship mm-hmm. at a place... At a PR agency, but it was more investor relations. Okay. So they handled med tech companies, consumer companies. Mm-hmm. I would have to read these things called white papers. Oh, shit. Very dry. Um, <laughs> I would attend road shows. Okay. I would conduct investor calls, mm. record everything that happened, create kind of a summary, submit that to the president of the company, those types of things. That was my internship. It was in Soho. Mm. And I had a manager who told me in my end review that I just seemed too cavalier. (laughs) A.K.A. she just seemed maybe too black. How about that? I don't know if that's what she meant. Mm -hmm. What I thought, what I took away from that was a cavalier person is carefree. Ah, okay. okay. And for me, it's very important I just think for the black experience mm-hmm. to see the possibilities at all times right? and to not focus on the negative. True. So true, true. I threw an event for the company and I forgot to order tablecloths. <laughs> okay. Tablecloths? Tablecloths. And it was like a... <laughs> what? Like a... Kind of like a college fair thing. So it was a bunch of tables with no tablecloths. Right. Right? We're down to an hour before the show. Everyone's coming. Where are the tablecloths? Oh, Yeah. I forgot to order them. Right, 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 right. So my boss is freaking out. How can you forget this? Is that in the third? In that moment, yes. people are going to walk through that door in 45 minutes. I said, oh, I'll just call the cafeteria. Cafeteria right. had extra tablecloths. Let us use them. Not a problem. Right. You go, I think that was That's a perception thing. Yeah. She thought I was careless. Uh-huh. Mind you, I could have been more responsible prior. Right. But in that moment. You didn't freeze up. You showed I you a clutch. I don't freak out. Right. There is always tomorrow. Yes, yes. That's how I see things. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe I've been a little too cavalier when it comes to my career choices. (laughs) I always thought, you know, where I'm supposed to be is where I'm going to be. I'll put in the work, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to stress about life. I don't understand people stress so much they're drawn to do drugs or smoke a cigarette or pull their hair out or let it affect their... Listen, I have the ability to leave the stresses of my workplace at home at work and then come home and love on my family. I I've never understood there's always tomorrow. I right. honestly believe that. And if there isn't, then I pray I, I'm with the angels if I don't wake up. Like right. I just don't believe it's ever that serious. And I think, I don't that think it that's is either. helped me. But that was my struggle. I was coming out of school. I was in IT and everyone was it was oversaturated at that point. Ooh. And then I think you remember that people just weren't hiring. I think there was some kind of recession that went on in 05, 06. We're talking 05, 06, 08, right. 07. And in that space of time, there was a large amount of like basically people. They, were, they weren't hiring people. Right. Even in 09, it was difficult to get. They weren't hiring. Like you were, if, you, if you were hiring, you were getting PT'd or you were working on a contract. You weren't right. getting a full-time gig. So I said, where can I add value? What can I do now? I'm not going to give up. I have goals. Right. I want to save money to do things I want to do. I want to travel the world. What can I do? Mm-hmm. So someone told me if you go to Saks Fifth Avenue and sell shoes, you can make $100,000. And I was like, <laughs> sign me up. Retail therapy I went straight specialist. to Fifth Avenue. And that is when I realized... There is a world out there of wealth that I have never seen. 
Yes, there I is. I didn't understand. You know, you read about these things. You even right. see them. You know, you have the story of Orphan Annie, and mm-hmm. you see the amount of money that she was exposed to, but you don't understand it until you talk to these people. Right. Did you see and a whole bunch of gray Amexes coming out? I saw a lot of black Amexes, uh, okay. and I realized they weren't even plastic. <laughs> talking it's big metal. Money talk. I met the CEO of Mattel, Bob Eckert. Okay. Wow. And that's when I said, okay, I get it. And he was in shoes with a hole in them. And he bought his daughter a stack of Tory Burch shoes. At those time, each Tory Burch shoe was probably $230, $200, $195. He bought her about 10 pair like this. They were on vacation. He said, send these to my summer house uh, and told me whatever country they were going to next after this. Oh. And I said, you know, I get it. Okay. You know, there is a world out there that I need to see. That ball. And I out. need a part of it. <laughs> and um, I made my money at Saks, mm-hmm. you know, and so I found a better opportunity. I got to go work in Paris, France and live there. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about three, four months and came back to the United States. How was that experience being out there? Um, you know, the thing about living and traveling is you constantly, it's like a rubber band, right? So Mm -hmm. you stretch the rubber band, it's never going back to the same shape it was before. It's going to constantly get looser, looser, looser. And that's how I felt about Paris, France, because I know the black experience. Right. And I know the black female experience. Right. But that whole experience has been contained to a location. Right. And then I realized that my experience will change based upon my geography. Correct. So while in the United States, I may not be appreciated. Mm-hmm. In Europe, to say I'm black and African-American, I can have more freedoms right. and more privileges uh-huh. than someone from the black diaspora who grew up there their whole lives, mm-hmm. i.e. the Senegalese, mm-hmm. or those from the Congo, those from Guadalupe. And Martinique. Right. Not that I'm at all proud of these things, Mm -hmm. but I see how geography can change the meaning of things. Very true. Here, someone can brag, someone can create a financial hierarchy by simply taking their Mercedes keys and throwing them on the table in front of me. I drive a Mercedes. In the United States, okay. I'll look at you like, hmm, got it. Okay. Especially where we come from, Mercedes is really not like, okay, cool. But I call the cab. Right. In Europe, and what showed up to my door? A Mercedes. <laughs> so for me, when I came back to the United States, I said, sir, you're not a baller. Yeah. Wow. Do you understand that just the eight hours from now, you're, you're driving a cab? Mm-hmm. So that's when I learned that money is almost, it's like a smoke screen. Yeah. What it can do for me matters. It's a big cover for a lot of people, man. The money doesn't matter. Right. It's what it can do for me and how I use it. Yes. Because the Mercedes-Benz key means nothing. He, you know, it's just, it's where am I? You, just like the dollar. Well, the, the dollar has its value today, its value tomorrow. So what is the dollar really? The dollar is, a, is just a digital number in a yeah. bank. Yeah. And it, it's either physically there or not physically there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, when you had that eye-opening experience where you were like, okay, look, I've seen other sides of things. How was it in America coming back to America and reacclimating yourself into the, the American system? Was it, a, was it like a big like shock to the system or were you able to smoothly adjust? Oh, yeah. I was, I was able to come right back. Mm-hmm. I do feel as if I had a different vantage point. I felt an appreciation for those people who um, are mistreated. Yeah. Um, 
You got a different appreciation for yeah, that. Yeah, I have a different appreciation. Mm-hmm. I take more seriously how people use language. Right, right. Uh, right. Especially when defining me mm-hmm. and defining people like me. Do you ever feel like you were marginalized? Absolutely. Every single day to this day. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. When someone, <laughs> when I'm assertive, yes. right? When I'm in a negotiation, yes. which is what I do every day, all day. Correct. And someone asks me why I'm getting angry mm-hmm. or I'm getting an attitude. And I have to stop the conversation and say, let's redefine that. Yes. I'm being assertive. I'm telling you what you can and cannot do. Right. Doesn't mean I'm angry. Exactly. Sir, don't excuse my enthusiasm for anger. Right. I'm excited about the brand. Right. But you're asking me for a below market value. And right. that's that's not reasonable, right? Right. They figure they can get over on you. Do you, you, you get that from a lot of male customers. Yeah, but I learned that people want to define women in many ways. Mm-hmm. I've been in performance reviews where I'm speaking to you as if I'm talking to you right now. Right. And someone says, I raised my voice. I said, sir, let's stop. <laughs> okay, where am I yelling? There's no yell here. Am I speaking clearly? Am I speaking efficiently? Am I have great word choices? Yes, but I'm not yelling. I do think that a lot of times with, with that kind of a situation, a... Some men, I'm not going to say all men, but a, high, a very large amount of men are not used to a woman having an opinion or even being able to speak well on a level like that, which is ridiculous to me. And I think that especially when they're dealing with a woman who is outspoken, it's intimidating for them. I think that's a, I think we see that in the election and how that went down, how they voted in Trump. It's just a very, some men or a very large group of men, I'm going to not name because I don't want to generalize, but a large group of men have a big problem taking authority, uh, taking any kind of authoritarian actions from a woman. Basically showing that if a woman is running the show, they don't know how to allow that to happen in their lives. It's almost like white people who mm-hmm. think that black power means we hate white people. No, it means we love ourselves. Yeah. The, the, the Me loving you doesn't mean I hate you. Correct. Me loving me yes. doesn't mean I hate you. Right. Meaning females in power yes. don't mean men are weak. Exactly. We can coexist. Yes, we can live within, we can live in, in a society where a woman is in full power and a man is not. And we can have, we can have a, a place where a black woman, a.k.a. Michelle Obama, can be the president of the United States, and that would be awesome. And the world would exist just fine. Mm -hmm. Just like we had a world that existed just fine when Barack Obama was in power. Right. But let's remember, Barack Obama could not have been any darker for United States. They would not have been very comfortable with that. We're going to get into this. He could not have been Mm -hmm. Coco Chocolate, (laughs) 1145, almost midnight, no, he could man. not have been no, he can't be Idris Tyson. Elba Brown. No, they Tyson, would not have been okay with that. Tyson Beckford, Idris Elba. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> now we understand the colorism of America. Now you're a brown skinned woman. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> now you're a brown skinned woman who decided down the road that I'm going to get into the auto industry mm-hmm. and become an auto aficionado who sells Audis. Is it correct? Yes. So Audi. 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 Now. Aldi. Now. You are a woman who travels, highly cultured, and is a salesperson in a highly male-dominated field. I'm the only female on my sales floor. Okay. Next to my uh, general sales manager. <laughs> when, you, when you got into the business, what was your first reaction to this male-dominated society? With everything going on with the Me Too situations, and uh, we're speaking light of, we're placing light on sexual harassment and anything like that. Did you feel uncomfortable in the workplace at that point, at any point? 
any any point in your career, not just there. I'm just talking in general. No, because anyone who's female and is black yes. is tested on a daily basis. Our sexuality is challenged on a daily basis. We're mm-hmm. hypersexualized. Oh, People yes. assume that at yes. 10 years old, we're twerking. They think we're doing <laughs> all these outlandish things because we're black and we're female. Right, right, right. Um, right. So I've been tested from whenever I got my big booty. <laughs> you know, in high school, you're tested. Right. In college, you're tested. Right, right, right. In on vacation, you're tested. Big in the time. clubs, you're tested. Right, right. And one thing I learned very on, very early on, is that I don't play with. How do I explain it? I don't play. I don't use. And maybe some women think that this is a bad thing, but I don't use my femininity for power. Correct. Correct. For one, I don't even think I really can hone in on the skills. I don't know how. <laughs> but I also have never wanted to mm. because I feel it creates a gray area for people. Uh, all right. I cut, I create clear cut boundaries. I don't flirt with my manager to get an extra 10 minutes break. I earn my extra 10 minutes break. You can never come back and rub against me and hope that that, you know, I will never have to be in a position of weakness where I say, oh, because of this then I have to allow this. I get you saying. And I learned early on that that is how a lot of women rise, mm-hmm. and that won't be how I rise, because if that's how you rise, when that male, who is the reason for your power, no longer exists, which will be, he will have his day, mm-hmm. then you also will no longer exist. How do you feel about the Me Too movement right now? I think it's necessary. Okay. Um, I also believe that... There's many opportunities that I've lost... Right. Because I said something in the moment. Mm. I believe that not everyone was willing to take that risk in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's become an oversaturated industry of abuse. Yeah. Because someone saw the glitz and glamour. Right. And laid down what they knew was right because they were going to miss out on an opportunity and just took it. I think what a lot of people... A lot of women in themselves, you know, they opportunity became the power of the P-U-S-S-Y. Yeah. They use that as an, as an ability. Okay, this is a trade-off. You give me this opportunity, I'll give you what I have. And they only, sometimes I feel like a lot of women felt like the only thing they had to offer what was what was between their legs and not what was, was between their ears. And I will ears. tell you, that is something that was never taught to me. See, And, and that was it. never instilled in me. Mm-hmm. And I always knew that, you know, you just can't. I learned you give men, especially an inch, they yeah. will take a mile. That is just how <laughs> oh, you guys operate. Yes. So <laughs> if I don't that. like you, yeah. I, I'm going to meet you in a professional setting. Yes. I'm not going to take a business meeting in someone's hotel room. Wow. I'm not even going to go to lunch with you if I'm not remotely interested. Yeah, exactly. Because guess what? I have my own $5.99. I will go to Subway and figure some shit out <laughs> before I say, I'm hungry. Yeah. Let me entertain this random right. for two hours yeah. for some free Del Frisco's. But that is the trend. That is the trend. I know girls who don't pay for meals. Yeah, I know. I know quite a bit. And they entertain and they waste time on men and give them the wrong idea mm-hmm. and get drunk around men and make wrong decisions around men because... And then they might be in their feelings. The they next wanted to day. save a few dollars. Right. I've seen a lot of women over time 
be in their feelings the next day after they gave this guy so much time. And I'm like, listen, you maybe this wasn't talked to you, but not everything is centralized between what's between your legs. You need to work with what's between your ears. Yep. And you need to figure out how to really work the game. I knew girls who had, they wouldn't sleep with nobody. They had four or five guys doing all kinds of things. Now, that's pimping the system, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying it was right or was it wrong. Right. But if that's the way, if she going to use them and they're going to do what they're going to do, then they're going to do what they're going to do. But I always say you need to you need to be smart, and I'm sure your family do. you need to be smart and you need to evaluate the situation because nine out of ten times, and I hate to say this, fellas, but the truth is, your woman is your better half for a reason. She's she's women are nine out of ten times mostly smarter than you. Agreed. But you, <laughs> need, you need to understand that they might not they don't have the one thing they don't always have is the immediacy to do to go to, to call to action. Men have that, which means we can move in a different direction, and they can. Most times, women are indecisive about what direction they're going because they think we move, and that's the difference. And something I had to learn over time was sometimes I would move too fast and didn't realize I was making the wrong decision. And then the girl I was with be like, you know, you should have thought about this over again. But I was like, if I waited on you, I'd been sitting there for two centuries waiting to do one thing. Mm-hmm. But she, she said, but then she would say to me, well, if you did wait, you would have made the right decision. You wouldn't have to make all these other decisions. And I didn't really understand that. Years later, I understood you need to shut up and sometimes you just need to listen. Yeah. And it might really piss you off that she's always right. But trust me and believe she's mostly right. Not even then. There is that one percent where you are right, and when you do that, you better freaking celebrate like <laughs> you won the fucking Super Bowl, bro. But anyway, <laughs> I know I do. But um, so you're in this industry, and now you've come from. You got your you got your degrees. You go into the auto industry. You're one of the only females in your industry as a black woman, and you're learning about this now. As you go through this and you're like, all right, I've learned this about myself. In that time and in, in that space, and this is something I know about you, you'd rediscover your your love for traveling in this t- space and time. Hell, you're leaving right now to go to, to Trinidad. Trinidad. Right now to Carnival. So I remember you went to didn't you go to the Brazil? No, you went to Paris. You went to the fashion, what was it? The Milan. Milan. Mm-hmm. That must have been one of, I've never even thought about going there. That's one thing about you. You take some risks that I just, I never even thought about even Milan. Well, and you know how I got, I was on that trip? Mm-hmm. So I linked up with one of my old track buddies from Syracuse for brunch. She okay. said, come with me to brunch. All right. Mind you, I don't know the other girls at brunch. All right. So we get to brunch, and mm-hmm. one of the other chicks who was an associate. Okay. I wouldn't say me and her had each other's cell phone number or anything like that. Right. She goes, I'm going to Milan. Okay. And I said, well, what days are you leaving? Mm. And she, I don't know if she meant it. Or, right. you know, some people say things right. uh, cavalier, not really thinking, and they right. just go, yeah, if you want to come, you can come. <laughs> Don't say that to Venetia, y'all. She's going to be there next day. I got her number. <laughs> yeah. And two days later, I sent her my itinerary. Right, right. And she said, you're coming? I said, you said I could, right? Mm-hmm. And we linked up. And Crazy. I went and I met her in Milan and I stayed in the room with her and her girlfriend. Good. Mind you, after the trip, I found out she was like, yo, you're bold. You just can't. I said, well, don't tell people <laughs> that they can come with you to Milan during Fashion Week and get all these private tours and stuff if you don't mean it. So I went and had the time of my life. But I say all that to say that 
I try to take advantage of every opportunity that's given mm. to me. Right, 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 right. I am assertive without being aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to ask gotcha. in sales. They te- you got to ask for the sale. Right. The most you could tell me is no. <laughs> if you tell me no, I don't even hear it. I hear not now. Oh, okay, so I should call you next week? That's what that means. And I think that's why I continue to win because even when life tells me no. Right. Venetia, this is not the time for you. Okay. What about now? <laughs> and that's just how I see it. Right, right. Did you ever, like, in that, while you're, you know, you're, just, you're beginning to understand that about your life, that, you know, a no is just a no, but you're going to keep moving forward. A no is just a not now. Not now. Good, good, good correction. I don't even catch that one right there. <laughs> okay. Now, in that, in that moment, that you're moving that, that way forward right now. Like, that's a revolutionary thing with your life right there. Did that spark the movement of me going out and I'm going to travel more, I'm going to see most of the world? Tell me about some of your best trips. Where was, like, some places where you were just, like, you were not expecting a lot, but you got a lot? Yeah. So I think my most favorite trip to date was Brazil. Okay. And part of the reason was I didn't let outside Western perception of that country mold my experience prior to getting there. So I went to get my visa. I'm chatting it up with a girl who's going the week before me. She's like, watch yourself. It's a dangerous city. I'm so scared, this, that, and the third. I'm like, it can't be any worse than a Brownsville, Brooklyn, or, you know, a Patterson, New Jersey, or a New... I'm like, look, I'm savvy. Mm -hmm. I'll be all right. Right. I'm going to take every precaution necessary, but I'm not going to be afraid to experience what life has to offer me. So the first night we go, and I'm with my cousin, and we're going to a party, and we're waiting for the club to open, and we're talking to a guy, and he looked sketchy. (laughs) Sketchy is sketchy, He looked like five o'clock shadow, smoking a cigarette, angry, man. He had that energy like, life fucking sucks. (laughs) Fuck this shit. (laughs) Like, he was waiting for... A come up. Yeah. Okay. Then... There was a young man next to me who was all about fashion, Beyonce, and he was talking to me about everything pop culture, (laughs) but the best he could because he spoke full Portuguese. Okay, okay. I spoke Spanish, which do not assume that if you go to Brazil, speaking Spanish is enough because it's not. Right. And we were trying our best to have our conversation, but one thing I did pick up from the young man to my right was he looked at the sketchy guy and said, watch out for him. Wow. Wow. Mind you, the sketchy guy is talking to my cousin who's to my back. So Mm -hmm. I'm facing the nice guy. My cousin's facing the sketchy guy. Mm -hmm. My cousin was probably six drinks in at this point, and I don't think that his perception was the best. No, he's probably giving away way too much information. Giving away way too much info. And I already, when I travel, don't even ask me my real name. I mean, I probably won't give it to you. So at some point, my cousin turns to me and goes, hey, they want to go to the strip club. And I was like, we're not going to the strip club. We're going to the club that's over here. Mm Mm-hmm. So my cousin's being adamant about going to the strip club, and I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is how you deal with drunk people. You just tell them, yeah, and you keep pushing them in the opposite direction. <laughs> so he goes- Life fact right Right, there. so I say, yeah, dude, whatever your name is, yeah, yeah, we're we going to go into this club right here. Right. We'll probably only be in 45 minutes. Yeah. We'll see you when we get out. Uh-huh. I purposely kept my cousin in the other club for three and a half hours. Gotcha. We get outside. Sketchy guy's still waiting. Lurking. In addition, he's got a crew, and then there's one single woman with the crew. That single woman is talking to me now, interrogating me. Oh, how long are you guys here for? Who are you with? Where are you staying? 
I'm very keen. Right, right. I know the difference between an interrogation and an organic conversation. Right. This right. is not an organic flow. Yeah. I so a you're lot of casing questions. the situation. Basically. My cousin's not paying attention. No. They're hailing a cab. I'm like, where are we going? They're like, we're going to the strip club. I said, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm out of here. He said, this what? Morning. My cousin's like, oh, Vern, that's okay. Here's the key. I said, no, I'm sick. I'm no. your cousin. You're going to make sure I get home safe. Right. It could have been a million outcomes for that night. Correct. That could have not been a real cab they were hailing. Mm-hmm. It was definitely some sort of setup. Yep. One, I'm not that pretty and my cousin's not that cool right. that a random stranger will wait three and a half hours for us to hang out. Word. He saw dollar signs. Exactly. And for that reason, I said, we got to go. Yep. I gave her all fake information. Mm-hmm. We hailed our own Uber mm-hmm. that I called from my phone mm-hmm. and we got back to the house. But I didn't let that sully the, the vacation. I just told my cousin, I said, listen, you got to stay sober. You do have to watch yourself with I your I said, you got to be more careful. I said, mm-hmm. listen, luckily I was there. I said, because you would have went with them. Right. I said, and your perception was not on point and I needed to be on point. Yeah. Okay. Because you're my older cousin. Exactly. So that happens. And then it was like God shined down on us when I say... I found a tour of the favelas. Mm. I went in the hood, <laughs> and I realized that they had the same experiences we had. They took us to the very, very top of the favela. Mm-hmm. What's the first mural that I saw in graffiti? It said gentrification in what? Portuguese. The same things they're dealing with, we're dealing with. So favelas for years were places that they push, 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 push the marginalized people out to the outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And then the favelas grew from the ground up. I'm right. sorry, from the top down. Right. So you know how most things are built from the ground up? These people started these buildings in the hills. They like to find gravity, mm-hmm. started the buildings up top, and then grew down the hills. I never knew that. That's interesting. Grew down. That's what the favela plant is. It's that mossy plant that grows up a, yeah, grows right. up a fence. Right. So, and they have the best views of Brazil to this day. Right. True. Um, so now the state's trying to come in. So they always had this issue where, you know, the drug deals and everything was running amok in and out. But they weren't terrorizing the people of the favelas. No, That's no. just where they were doing their business. And the cops, it's such a myriad uh, pathway when you get in. They don't really have a centralized post office. The mailman comes in, knows where to go, drops everything. Everybody goes to that centralized location. Because there's no real order to it. There's an alleyway here. There's a, you know, if you ain't, if you're a not from steps in. You will have no idea. Right, right. Hide and go seek is probably the shit. You know right. what I mean? That's like Little a super project. Hunt. That's a super yeah. project, basically. So, but they have everything they need. There's barbershops in there. They make their fresh bread. They have a corner store inside the favela. The favela is a city within itself. You don't right. have to leave the favela. You can get a haircut. You can get your hair salon. Mm-hmm. You can have a party. They have a Michael Jackson Square, because that's where he filmed that video. All I want to say is that they don't really care wow. about us. Yeah, we went oh, to that snap. favela. I never knew that. But I was also smart enough to know... It's getting dark. Let's get out of this favela. No matter how nice the people are, and I'm buying, you know. Right, you're still an American. You, I exactly. Yeah, still an American. Um, but I say all that to say that experience led to us meeting a college student who invited us to a soccer game mm-hmm. to see a soccer game in a South American company in a South American country is an experience in itself. It was amazing. Probably was like probably an amazing place. Like when you went into the, to the it was probably like Macarena never seen anything stadium like that. Or something. It was one of the largest. It's the largest stadium I think in South America. The one right. in Brazil. Right. And you understand what it means to be a fan. Right. Fanaticism. Mm-hmm. To chant even when your team is down by six. To chant from beginning of the game to the end of the game, no matter what the outcome is. That's what they do. They show up with 30-foot bamboo man-made it's, flags. That's life for them out there. We think, we, we think we're fanatical when it comes it's to football. It's their religion. But it's like, yeah, it's like a religion to them out there. It's the guy people. I met, I said, are you in class tonight? He was like, this is my religion. <laughs> Fuck school. I was like, all right. 
Yeah, so and they take it serious. No drinking in the stadium. That's where the word fan comes, comes from fanaticism. So, I mean... No drinking in the stadium. They will stab one another. If you are a Lakers fan and I'm a Knicks fan, we enter in complete opposite ends. We never cross paths at yeah. the arena. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I say all that to say every random thing happened from me not living in fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to take cabs every day. Right. For one, I thought they were taking advantage of me because I was like, are we riding in circles? This trip shouldn't taste like... <laughs> so we got on the public transportation when everyone else was like, scared, they're going to rob you. Right. Of course, you don't ride at night. Yeah, you ride during the day. But during the day, I was on that thing like the A train. Yep. You know, and that's when you get a real sense for the people. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my favorite trips to this day. I, I, what I, is important to me... Right. And the reason I must travel, it's essential, it's like air to me mm-hmm. once a year, is that I think we only grow from the uncomfortable. Exactly. And the average American is never uncomfortable. How often are you somewhere where you have to look at a map? You have no idea where you are. When you don't speak the language, you just have to figure it out. And those moments are when we grow. Okay. You don't grow when you get in your car and you have the same routine and you drive to work and you drive to bagel shop and you get your (laughs) same haircut. There's no growth in that. I had had the experience of uh, the going to work one day and being on autopilot and driving up to the up to my job at the time and not knowing how I got there. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know I was there. I was like, wait a minute, how did I get there? I'm at work already. Oh my god. Like, oh. Yeah. I go sit at my desk. And then I had a groundhog effect. There was like a two-week span. I remember this in my last job. And I was like, why do every day I do the same thing? I come in. I take care of the same reports. I yell at the same people. I send the same email. I'm doing the same thing. I need a change. Yes. I was like, that immediately when I started to need a change, that's when I started to feel like I was breaking down. Like I was really, literally contemplating just kicking my desk over, walking outside, and saying, fuck everything. Yeah. I'm done. And I realized at that point in time that I needed a change. And that change came from the fact that I was no longer tapping into my creative side. I no longer was seeing life in a, in a sense of what I could be doing. It's a sense of me just saying what I need to be doing. And it was like, I need to switch those. The dreams that I had going on need to be what I am doing. And the things that I need to be doing be, need to be sometimes the most responsible things. But sometimes you got to take risks on your dreams. Yes. And I couldn't, for me, like you're saying with traveling is how I feel when it comes to me not chasing my dream. I feel like I, would, I can't be that guy behind the cubicle my entire life. It just doesn't fit me. If it's, and I don't, the weirdest thing in the world is I used to work for an Infinity dealership. And I used to deliver parts. And as much as I, I, I hated the guy I worked with sometimes, the fact that I got out there and I was able to drive and be somewhere else every day didn't matter. Kind of fulfilled you. Yeah. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I am a Pisces. And Pisces cannot woo, be confined. <laughs> exactly. Pisces gang. She's a 24th. I'm a 25th. My girlfriend's a 26th. How Ow. about that? See, it's, you cannot live a life that is consumed with continuism. It must be something that changes in you. And I realized that I was waiting for that. And you have to be able to continue to change. And if you don't change, you're going to be stuck in a world where you're, in a, you're just going to feel crazy all the time. I realized that. Like, you have to continue to have change. It's a continuous thing. Life is like a river. If you stuff up, you dam up the river, what happens? The river stays stagnant. It goes nowhere. Life may grow. And it gets mosquitoes. Yes. And then you get that um, Zika. Zika. Life may grow, but it won't grow like it would if the river was flowing. So 
I understand your plight. I understand why you needed to, to make those things happen for yourself. So we come into a new year. There's a lot going on as as me and you are from an African-American descent. There's a lot going on with our people, period. How do you feel right now, you being a woman with things that are going on, and you've been traveling, you've seen the world a little bit now, and you're going into 2018, where do you see the world going for yourself, and where do you think you're going to be going? I honestly feel as if the world is my oyster, and I know it sounds cliche, but I believe the chickens have come home to roost. I believe that the world on a large scale, is understanding you are going to pay big time for the evils of your forefathers. Right. Whether you want to acknowledge your white privilege or not, it's there. It's changing. More and more people are starting to get it. Will they ever fully get it? I don't know. But I think that the scale is being tipped. And I think in the media to have so many black superheroes coming out of nowhere, I mean, to find, you know, Lightning Man and Black Panther, mm -hmm. and for, you know, the natural hair movement to be what it is. It's like, you look at girls who get permed hair now, and you're like, you still perm your hair? <laughs> it is trash. To see the culture being led. I mean, did Cardi B just have a freaking Amazon or something? What, am what commercial <laughs> she had, did she have? She had have? an Amazon commercial on the Super Bowl. Right. So right. for me, it's like people are finally realizing if you are black, Right. A person of color, yes. or if you are part of this diaspora, yes. and you stay true and authentic to yourself, mm -hmm. and understand we run the culture, right? Even this whole Kim Kardashian debate, Bo Derek braids this, that, and the third. <laughs> we all know they're cornrows. Yes, we all know they've been copping our style forever. What we call we we call it culture vultures, cultural appropriation. They've been, but it's not even a new thing. No, it's not new. It has always been, but for some reason. They had this hold on the black community mm -hmm. where we felt we needed to still look like them. But finally, people are like, I don't. No, you can I can wear my hair how I want. Right. I can celebrate this. What is Afrofuturism? I'm excited about that. Afrofuturism. Whatever that is, is happening with the Black Panther Marvel thing. Yes. We just sold out. No other Marvel movie does that on opening day. The thing about it is that we are. We are getting to awaken our identity. Yeah. See, I've my whole life, I've been light-skinned, my whole life. And when you're light-skinned and no one believes that you're black, you have your own people who question you, you have white people who question you, you have Spanish people who think you're Spanish, they don't even speak English to you, you have to somehow to way cut out your own definition of where you go. But I tell people all the time, I am the definition of America because I have several different cultures in my system. I am what America should be and what America will probably look like. And people don't tend to understand that you can't stop what's already started. Pandora's box has already been opened. That's it. There is going to be a revolution of people who are going to subjugate themselves to look like what they deem themselves to be. Individuality is an inevitable thing. You can fight for, try to make America great again, whichever that's going to be, but you can't stop what's going to happen because America never stopped being great. Mm -hmm. America stopped being America because we stopped putting we stopped putting preference on being an individual. Everybody wanted to be whatever they saw on a reality show. And I do encompass that to Facebook. 
because I think people begin to get into tribalism and going into their own tribes. Like, I have to be into this, and if you're not down with this and think like I do, then you're out of there, especially with groups. People begin to tribe up. Like, if, you're, if, if I sit up here and say, Jay-Z is trash, right, and you're a major Jay-Z fan, the tribe comes here. Yeah. They got your back. My tribe, my Nas tribe, because I said Jay-Z's whack and Nas is dope, they're going to come on this side. <coughs> We're now divided. Same thing with Beyonce and Alicia Keys. You, cause your tribe saying Alicia Keys is the greatest artist in the world. Everybody else is saying no. But I that. think Beyonce is great. I think there's always been tribes. I think now though there's a lack of a discourse. Well, no one's comfortable with a discourse. Okay, mm-hmm. Jay Z's trash. Why? Right now people just spit hate words at you because you disagree with them. But that's that's Charlemagne's argument of you gotta you gotta stop. You gotta define what is hating. And what is factual and what is just someone having an opinion. We should be able to have an opinion. And on a grander scale, black people as a whole should have an opinion about everything. And it can't just always be about people saying, oh, well, you don't get it. You're just you're just so race sensitive. Of course we're race sensitive because we see the parallels. Why do we, all our lives we've been taught that black is bad? Everything that's bad, all the criminals, all the freaking bad people in every cartoon show, if they were bad or a criminal, always wore black. Mm-hmm. Every time there was uh, uh, someone getting saved, it was black people getting saved by a white hero. All our lives is all we saw. And they were always a male hero that was white. So white man power. Never us as a people showing us as black men being in power. Or we were always a sidekick. We were never, you'll never see a black man being the number one and then there'd be a white guy as a sidekick. And nowadays, you see on TV, now they have white guys with black women all the time on all the commercials. And it's like, do you think we're that dumb? And the reason why we get looked at as being dumb is because we we paid attention. We were We paid attention to a lot of things that didn't need to be paid attention to. And while we were busy drinking, smoking, and trying to get our part in music, and get our foot in the right place. There were so many things being moved around around us that we just couldn't see. Everything from the Clintons. Don't ever get that twisted. What was going on with the Clintons? And what was going on with just the Bush administration and the laws that were passed that we did not see coming because we were too busy trying to just work out our neighborhoods because of the devastation from crack infiltration right. and drug infiltration. Correct. I think that is as a, as a people, as a society, this generation of educated African-Americans and this generation of educated um, mixed people will be the definition of the change of where this country goes and where the world goes because there's a lot of people out here who come from just a whole different background. There'll be there'll come a time when the world will be more mixed than it will ever be just one color. And I think that it's archaic to think that the world is still going to be stuck in whether we're black or we're white. We're going to have to start talking about just where we come from. Are you American? And what does an American really look like? Because there's going to be gen- there's going to come a time when a generation of people are no longer just going to be defined by whether they're black or white or Spanish or whatever. I think it's going to be a very long time, though. No, no, no. It'll be a while. It'll be. It'll come, though. I don't know. You don't think it'll ever come? Where it, someone will say, "Well, he looks American," and he looks. No. You don't think it'll ever I come? I don't see that. I don't <sighs> see that. That one drop rule is very, 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 very mm-hmm. prevalent. I think. I think. No matter might come, how man. pale you are, Brian, 
Even that girl who's marrying the royals, what's her name? Oh, yeah, she's from the she's from Suits. She's black. Yeah, she's black. No her matter mother how, her mother is straight up but Jamaican that's what I mean. with the locks and everything, man. No one's saying the mixed girl. Right. She's black cuz her mama is black. One parent is black, you are black and you deal with all the plights of right. being black. That whole mixed thing doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, I get it. I understand <laughs> it. Okay. But if perception's everything, right. You are black. I was telling somebody, this is um I was telling somebody in the last episode that I did. I was telling Will, the guy I interviewed the last episode. Mm-hmm. I was telling him my girlfriend always says to me, she's like, "Well, you said you were you always tell people that you're black and you never tell them that you're Jamaican and you never tell them that you have Native American running in you, you have you know, German and all these other cultures that are running in you and stuff like I'm like, because in the, the day people still people define you like, no, you let the white man define you as this. And I was like, Well, not so much that, but it's at the end of the day, people identify me as being African-American. That's what I've always identified mm-hmm. myself being. She's like, I meet Jamaican people. They don't define themselves as that. They define themselves as Jamaican. And I'm like, yes, I understand it. Because if they were there, that's where they came from in their culture. Mm-hmm. But where I come from, I come from, my family comes from South Carolina. My father's family comes from Jamaica. I never grew up in Jamaica. I grew up here. So I identify with being black all my life. I've had to explain to people what it is to be black. So she kind of got it, but my girlfriend understands it from a, a woman who comes, who family comes straight from DR. She's first generation here, so her mentality and her does she understand that she's also black? She will not cop to that. She's Dominican. Where she's from is who she is, and that's <laughs> period point blank. And I respect that about her. I know. <laughs> you you got to understand. Th- most people who are of 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 a Latin descent from the from the islands will. Not at the end of the day, will not classify. They're in denial. They will not classify they are in themselves. Denial. Hey, let's they, look they, they at They classify themselves the by the island of what they come from, though. So she wants you to call yourself New Jerseyan. What does she want no, you? No, no, American. She, she, she's like, you know, you got to say that you're, you know, that you're. You should say that you're black and Jamaican. Does she say that she's black and Dominican? Of course not. She no, she's not going to say that because she's Dominican. She's black. <sighs> no, and, and does the, she know where one of the first stops on the slave trade was? We all know what first stop on a so slave trade was. So why does she was. just say she's black? Because. That's but what a, bothers that's her about using the word black? Nothing bothers her. They don't identify themselves. They, they identify who? Because I know a lot of Dominicans who know that they're black. No. There's a lot of Dominicans who identify themselves as Dominican. Dominican. Straight up. Right. That's not, and, and if you ask in their history. Right. They, they, all, they all know everyone from there pretty much came so from So they're Africa. pretty much in denial. You, you could say they're in denial. I don't agree with them saying they're in denial. I agree with the fact that they believe in this. Is, they've they've crowned out. I mean, well, not crowned out. I should say they they've carved out their own culture. So that's where they're gonna go. But with. it's not their own. The, the Dominican nothing culture that Dominican is, people do is really their own. Yeah. That's down whole, to how. That's I mean, a whole other debate right there because that is that right there. That's it their came own culture. from somewhere. That's like saying Jamaicans don't have the Jamaican their own West Indian culture. They eat different food. It's a different culture. Where did it come from? We all know it comes from an African. Why do we all suck our teeth no matter where we from from? <sighs> okay. Are you Jersey? Am I from New Jersey? Yes. I was Are born you? and raised in New Jersey. All right. So, But I don't say I'm a Jersey girl. I don't know if there's anything about me that defines me as a Jersey girl. I don't even know what that means. Okay. I don't know what that means. Do you curse a lot? 
That don't make you from Germany. <laughs> I just call I'm a black female because I experience I understand the experiences of blackness. I listen, and no doubt. If someone looks at you. me, I agree with they you. They see before. a black female. Well, obviously. Right. But you've been you've definitely been mistaken as being something else, have you not? No. I and mean, maybe if I put a weave in. Okay. All right. Granted. I've been in Washington Heights where they probably just assumed everyone there is Dominican. I don't know. <laughs> but I had a Dominican boyfriend. He told me his grandmother is black. She's black. He's black. Okay. I'm just saying, like, but I don't what, understand the division. I, like They always, look, there will always be a cultural thing. Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, even Jamaicans, and uh, Trinidadians, they define themselves by where they come from. They don't define themselves as being black or from a, from an African descent. Now they understand that their cultures come from Africa, and these ships did land on their land. But at the end of the day, they consist their culture that they've carved out since those days is what they identify themselves as. Mm-hmm. The mass majority. Mm-hmm. You try telling someone who is from the Heights, who's Dominican or Puerto Rican that they're family and they're black by definition, they will look you up and down, stare at you for 20 minutes, and then walk out the room. Sounds like a denial to me, but it's cool. It is what it is. That's why I don't press upon people their their whole... I yeah, I mean, you can identify however you want. But, but I, we all understand where you come from. Yeah. We understand yeah. we all come from... We all have to come from somewhere, and we all come from one place in Africa, as much as I, you know, one area. Let's just say that. Now, there was something I wanted to ask you, but I think I lost it. Shoot. <laughs> um, so we, we were talking about 2018, where you're going and what's coming mm-hmm. up for you right now, and I want to stay on track with that. So what does 2018 for Venidra look like? Well, I have to complete, um, currently in a program, getting my second master's, this mm-hmm. one in general management at Harvard University. Woo-woo. Harvard University. Yep. Yeah. I am currently shopping for a two-family home in Bergen County. Okay. So if you know any real estate agents, uh, my budget it. is three forty nine. I got a couple. And I am focused on just my relationship with God, and I feel that... Some of my most successful, fruitful years are the years that I put him first. So I want to get back to that. And um, are you a very religious person? Um, define that. Religious being that you define yourself as a part Christian. Of a Christian. A, a person who believes in Jesus, Savior, absolutely, Savior, absolutely, and heaven and hell, heaven and hell, all that. Okay, then. Did he die for my sins? Absolutely. All right. Can I quote the Bible? No. You're Baptist. I am Baptist. Baptist. So you're not Catholic. No. Okay. Um, can I quote the Bible? Not a whole bunch. I have verses that strengthen me, and I use those verses. Mm-hmm. Do I know every single story in the Bible? No. Probably not. But in general, I am a macro learner. I get the point. So now I want to dive in and be more specific. I want to know what happened in the book of Acts. I want to know what happened because that's what you have to do when you're in a journey for anything, any kind of spiritual journey, any kind of journey. Mm -hmm. If I'm getting my master's, I have to master it. I can't have a general idea of what management is. I have to know economics. I have to know accounting. 
I have to know this. I have to know that. So I want to apply that same passion to my relationship with God. I get it. And that's what I am working on currently. And uh, that just gives me a lot of the faith and the strength to understand that wherever my life goes is where it's supposed to be at that point. All right. You know, in the Bible, it always talks about peaks and valleys. Do you ever have aspirations of um, completely being independent and owning anything of your own uh, business-wise? Not Absolutely. I don't know what that thing is. Okay. I know that I wasn't born to punch a clock for someone my whole life. No, you don't strike me as that. I don't know if it'll be a service-based business, a product. I like the idea of a service-based business, but I also understand that I can only reach but so many people as a service. Um, But then again, I'm not drawn to inanimate things. I've never been drawn to things. You know, I've never been a big kid on Christmas. I've never been oohs and ahs by diamonds. There's not a thing that excites me. I get you. There's not a team that excites me. I get excited by experiences. Uh I get excited by feelings. I get excited by learning and stuff like that. So for me, that's why I think I will be geared towards a service-based business, but Mm -hmm. I also know that it's easy to burn out because you sometimes become the business as a service. Right. So that's where my dilemma would be. Um, so again, I'm not sure, but I think I'll be led there when it's time, when it's my time. So I'm patient, you know, and I'm doing everything that I feel I should be doing in the meantime. I like the fact that you got, you mentioned patience. I think patience is a very under, um, undervalued kind of thing. I think people really are so caught up in just trying to live the hustle everyday life that they're not being patient and letting things come to you. It takes time. Yeah. You know, it took me forever to get to this point where I'm I'm hosting and producing my own podcast. I'm working as a photographer. I got things going for myself. It took a lot of time to get to this point where I was comfortable enough just to do that. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate you saying that because a lot of people just are not, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, hey, I just did it in five minutes and it's a go. And it's like. It's not how it goes. You grind. It's a grind. It's a grind. It's an everyday grind. You get up. Every day, every hour, you're on your laptop. You're trying to get something done. So that's life. No matter how much you don't like Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> he did what it took for the past however many years to become the best. Correct, correct. He didn't slip and fall into being the champ. <laughs> so if people want to follow you and they want to follow your travels and everything, where can they find you? Vernidra, V-E-R-N-E-D-R-A, at Instagram. Mm-hmm. My business page is Wi-Fi Coffee Ambition mm-hmm. at Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm Vernidra on Twitter. I'm Vernidra Williams on Facebook. I am Vernidra One of One on Snapchat. And I think that sums up my social media. <laughs> How do you feel about social media and um, in this this year for you? Do you feel like it's going to be something you're going to continue to Absolutely. I believe very much in social media. I just believe that you have to have education on how to use it. Okay. And I think you have to have an agenda. Hell yeah. I think that's If you have an agenda and you accomplish that with your social media, more power to you. Right. When you vicariously just post your lunch on a cardboard plate at your house (laughs) and have some clever... I don't know, Migos I've d- quote. I've done you, this before. <laughs> I don't understand. One, what type of branding uses a cardboard plate? And yeah. two, it doesn't even look that delicious. And Word. three, we all heard that same Migos song. Like, I just, I don't get it. There's a lot that I don't get. But again, I don't follow those people anymore. <laughs> so here's, here's, I think to sum it all up, 
Benidra is a person who believes that you should curate your 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 stuff and be more have a more of a purposeful life. Am I correct about that? Um Yeah, but I don't know if that's my mantra. <laughs> that was my shot in the dark, y'all. Yeah, I think my <laughs> mantra would be more like Just do it. It doesn't have to be the perfect situation. Okay. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, some people never begin right. because they're waiting for perfection. Right, right, right. That's not how it goes. Okay. You keep trying until you perfect it. Gotcha. Don't gotcha. be immobilized in fear of making a mistake. I've made many mistakes my whole life. I don't look at anything as a, it, it was the reason that I, you know, it's not one point where I'm just like, that mm-hmm. one thing has failed me. No, it was a bunch of things I fucked up on, and you know what? <laughs> I'll keep trying. Yes. And I think that's it. I'll just be resilient, be thick-skinned, and understand that your circumstances now are not your circumstances forever. And that goes for everyone, even the people who are so-called winning right now. Your circumstances now are not your circumstances forever. Therefore, treat people well when you're up, treat them well when you're down, because this thing is cyclical. And them tables turn. Mm-hmm. Benidra Williams, y'all. Um, any last words before we go? No. Right. I uh, just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. This yeah. is eye-opening. Yeah. Not often do you get to really search inside yourself in conversation. There you go. So thank you. And I encourage everyone else out there to go out and have heartfelt conversations with people beyond the what's up. I'm good. Really? That's crazy. Word. Really ask people the uncomfortable questions and, and see if they'll answer them. You right. know, you get, you'd be surprised what you get out of you'd people. You'd be surprised man. what you get. Listen, man, this has been episode three with Renidra Williams. I want to say thank you to everybody who's tuned in today. I really appreciate um, your listening. I really appreciate everything you did. Renidra, thank you for coming on. I appreciate this. My pleasure. Like I said, she's a great inspiration, y'all. So-